You're now listening to Vibes, Moods, and Moves, a new podcast where we never stop asking the real questions and we never stop having the real conversations. Hey, welcome, 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 welcome to this episode of Vibes, Moods, and Moves with me, your host, Janae Jordan. It's February 2021, and this is episode number 12. Now, I don't know if y'all have caught on or not, but Vibes, Moods, and Moves is a monthly podcast. That's right, monthly. And if you look back, you'll see. I've, I've cranked out a show pretty much every month, and where I missed one, I made up for it. I did my makeup homework. I made up for it. And and so much so that as of right now, I officially have completed 13 episodes because episode two was a two-parter. So not only did I get it done in spite of all of what we all been going through this past year, but I really, truly hit my mark spot on episode 12 my friends seriously 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10 11 12 do 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 uh huh uh huh PBS don't sue me y'all know y'all love that on Sesame Street don't even act like you don't know it and the minute I did it you went oh snap you know you did (laughs) so clearly I'm really happy I really am um yeah because this has been I think so many of us um I'm so proud of not just myself and I am patting myself on the back I made a new friend before the end of the year and one of the things he said to me was you do not give yourself enough credit Casey I am giving myself all of my credit right now I am I am and um, but I'm also so proud um, and honored to be amongst the body of people all around the world you know whether I know them or I don't know them people who found a way to um, pull up some joy and and take to the interwebs and do their part like I said when I came into this I just want to be a part of the wave of whatever goodness is out there during this time. And that was without us even realizing how rough it was going to get back then. You know, I mean, that's such a surreal moment for me sitting here um, this February, Black History Month, Valentine's Day just passing, and, you know, all these things that are usually celebratory and full of love and joy. And right now, today, Mark officially... 500,000 lost lives to COVID-19. A year ago, we couldn't have seen this coming. And so many of us have been directly affected and are still being affected while we're trying to do what we have to do. You know, I'm speaking for myself right now. One of the reasons why this is delayed is because I'm dealing with someone that I love very much, very possibly fighting right now with this disease. This is real for me. Um, And it's been real at several points along the year. And I know it has been for a lot of people. So, hell yeah. I feel very, very some kind of way about every 
single solitary person who took to the web, whether they DJed, whether they presented online art, whether they made funny videos, whether they tried to their hand at short films and uh, whether they, you know, did live performances online, whether they hosted events and gatherings online, whatever, 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 just thank you, thank you, and just thank you, God and the universe for allowing me the breath in my body and the thought and care and the want to be a part of that wave, because in a world so filled with hatred, disillusion, apathy, it means everything to me at the core of who I am that I was able to do this and that each and every single solitary one of y'all who has ever pressed play on an episode, downloaded an episode, put a link and sent it to a friend, sent me notes, whatever, y'all have no idea how much that means to me. It really does. And so I'm dancing on the inside about this episode 12, but I absolutely cannot, you know, it's not lost on me how far we've come and how much our world has changed. You know, like a lot of us talk about, you know, there was the before times and the after times. That is so painfully real and true. But the fact that I can do this and know that I'm not just doing it out into a void, but that there are people who have cared enough to subscribe and to listen. Um, that's special. That's um, that's the root of why I do every creative thing that I do. It's all about the connection. And honestly, that's what I think, when it comes down to artists in general across mediums, that's what drives most of us, is that, that, that it's a an intense, profound, spiritual, uh, beyond desire, it's like need and desire to connect with your fellow humans on a, on, a, on a very personal and very real level. And if that connection is about, you know, just being a part of their day on whatever day they play your episode or they watch your, you know, your pot, your, your online, your video podcast, or, you know, look at your artwork or whatever, and it makes them smile, or it makes them feel a little less alone that day. It makes them laugh. It makes them think about stuff. It inspires them to maybe try to step out there on faith and do something themselves. Then yeah, that's why I just love being a part of a community of people at large who are about that. That's the stuff that's always been important to me about any creative endeavor, whether it's been making the music, it's been the writing, it's you know, it's doing this kinds of stuff. It's some other things I'm working on now. Um, all of it, all of it. I'm honored and I know I'm blessed and I'm grateful. So uh, I don't want to continue on in my rant. So I'll just pull myself back. <laughs> and right here, I will take care of the business, which is thank you for pressing play on this episode whenever you press play and via whatever streaming service platform you have chosen to press play on. So whether you're listening and downloading and streaming on iTunes, Spotify, or Amazon Music, or right here on the main site, the host site, my site, www.JanaeJordan.com, I humbly and sincerely 
thank you. If you have not done so on those other platforms, uh, please do go ahead and subscribe. And if you're into it and you're feeling what you're listening to, give me some stars, rate the show. And if you have not joined my mailing list, again, I invite you to please come here to the website. Come on, come on. Look for the window that says mailing list. Put in your email, type it in, and hit submit. I promise I won't spam you. It is very important to me to continue to build that mailing list. And I'm going to tell you why. Because it's more than just I want to promote stuff to y'all. You know, it's about, I've said it and I've been very open from the very, very beginning about how I feel about Al. Algorithm. Uh, Pretty much social media at large. With a specific focus on Facebook. Um, we have a dysfunctional relationship. Uh, and I, you know, um, I didn't always feel that way about the platform, but I do now. And there's a lot of well-documented reasons for me at this point. Now it really is a discussion of ethics. They're giants, you know, um, I get that. I get that they're so titanic that they even took over, you know, one of the things that I'd been watching and wanting for years and that was my Oculus. I can't even have my damn Oculus. I was going to get an Oculus Quest and I had to send that sucker back before they shipped it when I remembered that not only did Facebook, I well, let's put it this way. I knew Facebook owned it and I was willing to bite the bullet, okay, and get it. But then I read they have it locked up so that if you have it, you can't even access any place unless you go through them. That to me felt like a violation. And the reason why is because you already got the 300 or whatever dollars for the equipment, the hardware, the interface. What the hell? Are you serious? I have to give you my access now more of my privacy? Like, that's not cool. That's not cool. You know, you buy it out the box, plug and plug and play. I should be able to use whatever service I want. But they took that option off the table. And that's just basically the general attitude and approach that they have about a lot of the things that they have their hands in. And I don't like it. And a lot of people didn't like it. I know y'all really don't care. Well, you know what? Some of my nerds, geeks, blurds out there do care. I told y'all, I think in a past episode, I'm a low-key reformed gamer and I fall off sometimes. And I figured if I was going to fall off and backslide, you know, during these after times, I might as well go out big time and go out with a VR headset. It is what it is. And I will get it. I will get one. But um, I was just really looking forward to getting an Oculus Quest. And Facebook messed that up. So... On top of everything else, I'm salty with them about that. But I did start this off saying why I think you guys should join the mailing list, right? Right. So because I do, you know, feel strongly about a lot of things that are going on with the platform, especially these days, and it's, you know, the the, the conversations, again, these are legal conversations, global level. Um, We don't know what's coming next. And just in general, I always think it's it's kind of irresponsible to put all your eggs in one basket. And so when I see so many people that I know and I love who only communicate and stay in touch with people on Facebook, it drives me nuts. And it has for many years. So my answer to that is every chance I get, I make sure that I get the phone number and the email of people in my world And for the ones who I've met via the internet and because we're in different networks and things, I always make sure that I get their actual contact information that they have mine. Because should something happen, I don't want to not have access to these really awesome people. You know, I don't. I don't want to lose touch. I don't. 
Um, what would you do if tomorrow you woke up and it was all gone and you in an instant lost all of your contacts? That You'd be pissed. And so that's when I say, you know, because we don't know, and please let us not sit here after this past year we've had and the past five years that we've had and say, oh, that'll never happen. Uh, hello, where have you been? There have been several things that people were talking about five years ago. Oh, that would never happen. And it happened. And here we are. So I don't sleep on the fact that things you think might not happen could happen. And that's why you should always have a contingency plan. And, you know, just in general, I just think it's, I miss the days when people actually wrote whole entire sentences, you know, um, paragraphs, (laughs) whole entire cohesive thoughts, used punctuation. Yeah. I love a good email. I really do. But, you know, because I know I'm not going to get handwritten letters anymore. I know that's over. Like, I've still got stationery I would love to use. People don't care. That's sad, but it is what it is. Anyway, so, ooh, I don't know what happened there. But, yeah, I mean, just, so, again, because that's where I guess you could call me old school, that's fine. That's fine. I Like, I've, I've said it also on the show. I love technology. I love the advent of all of these tools. But uh, we're supposed to use the tools. The tools are not supposed to take over our lives. And so, yeah, that's just the way I look at it. So, uh, yes, join the mailing list. I'd appreciate it. And if you're into what I do, there may come a day when you, too, will appreciate not losing touch with me or with vibes, moods, and moves. Okay, so, uh, yeah. And besides, I won't spam you. I can't stand spam. I hate spam. Spam's icky. All right, so... What else have been on? <laughs> For you newbies, that's how I get down. There's there's only one real rule here, and it's that you bring a beverage. You bring a tasty beverage. I don't mind if you don't have the snack, but I do expect that if you're going to sit down for a good chat, that you bring a tasty beverage. And in my head, yes, when I do this little call and response and I ask you, what are you sipping on? Y'all answer. Y'all answer. I've, I, you know, sometimes it's beer, sometimes it's a wine, sometimes it's, again, coffee. We having coffee together. Sometimes it's tea. You know, hey, there are times what I might not be drinking tea when I record, but I might be having some lovely ginger tea and honey when I'm editing. You know, at two, three, four o'clock, five o'clock, six o'clock in the morning. So we have a nice little beverage together. So that's for you newbies. Okay, that was your orientation. So again, I ask. What are you sipping on, huh? Because I hope that you have a tasty beverage, preferably a hot beverage that's cold, a tasty, healthy snack, and a comfy seat, and you're ready to get into some chat. I have my coffee, my usual coffee, with a little splash of French vanilla creamer in my Disco Go Cup. Yes, and I also do have water, because water does a body oddy good. And we must be hydrating. Yes. Drink your water. Eat your veggies. Take your vitamins. Breathe that fresh air every chance you can. Wear your mask. Social distance. Stay healthy. But yes, so cheers. I raise my Disco Go Cup to you, the VM&M Global Family and Collective. Cheers to you. And here we go. Mm. Yum. Ah, yes. Yes. 
That was tasty. That was tasty. <laughs> so now I'm ready to really get into the proper segment of this for some chat. Are y'all ready to chat? I'm ready to chat. Episode 12. All right, so really quick, I just want to say this. Valentine's Day just passed, and you know I'm sure it was a different kind of Valentine's Day for folks this year. I like to read all kinds of shenanigans from the interwebs. <laughs> so I saw, I'm talking about it now, even though Valentine's Day passed already, but I'm talking about it because I found it rather interesting. Now, I will say that my opinions are based off of this very simple fact. Valentine's Day is not a actual high holy day. It is not a proper holiday. It is a greetings card holiday. Okay? So I already feel like you should not be... Um, uh, taking it so seriously that if you were flying solo, you went into a depression. If you did that, my love, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. I wish that I'd gotten to say this to you before then, but darling, you would much rather be on your own and loving yourself and treating yourself and luxuriating and pampering yourself than be with somebody who is only nice to you one day a year. That's not cute. That's not good. And if you, on the other hand, were booed up, all right, and you got your balloons and your chocolates and your candy, I mean, it did say chocolates, it is candy, um, you got your chocolate and your flowers and your balloons and y'all were canoodling and a bon chicka bon wow, you know, and all that good stuff, hey, do y'all boo, do y'all get, yeah, good for you, but um, it was just interesting to see what all was going on in online land with people expressing either side of that with Valentine's Day. It was either like hella extreme and ridiculous or it was um, and just people down on themselves, which I don't understand. And again, a lot of that for me comes from the fact that I'm an old school romantic. I am. And I feel like this, whether the greetings card holiday is Valentine's Day or it's Mother's Day or Father's Day, but with a focus for this conversation on Valentine's Day, if you're with somebody, you should kind of uh, already be doing really nice, kind, and sweet things for each other all year round, not just one day. And if you're banking on someone proving how much they love you because they're basically a jackass all the rest of the time... Um, but you're waiting for Valentine's Day and you're willing to let all of that fly because of Valentine's Day, my love, you have bigger issues than if they got you the right chocolates and, you know, you're nighty in the right size. A fella just sat in boxers in the right size. Am I telling too much of my business? <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, no, I'm not. But anyway, um, yeah. So, yeah, but seriously, I think it's more, it's, it's, it means more when it comes from a place of it's that extra kindness, you know, um, because you should actually be being good to each other all the time. That's just the way I feel about it. You should be waking up to, you know, random little, you know, breakfast in bed situations and, you know, your favorite flower or flowers, you know, or, you know, favorite whatever like little things that you and the thing about that is is that if you really took the time to get to know the person you're with you know what those little things are that would just light up their whole entire world if you were to gift them with it on the random and so I guess that's the reason why I just always really crack up 
or I feel really bad for people. Like I want to hug them when I see some of the, the madness that I see online. But this year it was really extra, extra because there were a lot of, you know, virtual things going on more than usual because it's not like any of that stuff is new, but it was just, it was interesting. I don't know what to tell y'all. Go, go look up some stuff. It's interesting out there on the interwebs. But anyway, point blank and period. I hope everybody had a happy Valentine's Day. But I also hope that you all remember this. If nothing else, you should be in a state of love and loving yourself and loving those around you all year round. All year round. And on Valentine's Day, it's supposed to just be about kicking it up a little extra. A little extra kindness and sweetness. But um, yeah, if you were on your own last year and you got booed up this year and you got it right, hallelujah. If you're booed up this year and... You were the jackass that you probably should have broke up with last year, and you find yourself on your own next year. Luxuriate, be good to yourself. That's my that's my thing, and I'm saying that because again, in my head, I'm there are very specific references to stuff that I read and saw, and or watched, or you know, conversations that I actually had that you know I'm referencing as to what I'm responding to, and you guys are just basically you know sitting and watching this crazy train pull out in my head right now. Um, enjoy the show. So, but yeah, happy Valentine's Day, uh, you know, next year, because I'll probably be late next year too. <laughs> it's Black History Month, y'all. It is Black History Month. You like that? There was no transition, no segue. I loved that. I lo- I told y'all I was going rogue. And uh, yeah, so it's Black History Month. And here's the thing. I'm going to talk to you guys about what I'm doing quietly, privately, uh, that I'm finding a lot of joy and peace in this year. And again, when I think back to Black History Months of the past, I miss the days when we didn't, again, rely on, and there's clearly a thread here throughout this episode, where we didn't rely on social media to, you know, it's like now we're in this bubble uh, where if you don't, you know, put everything out there all the time on your social media, then you're not participating, which to me is absolutely insane, but it is what it is because I don't spend that much time on social media. It just, it doesn't phase me. I don't care. Cause I'm not trying to keep up and I'm not trying to beat the algorithm or whatever. I'm not, it's not my thing, but here's the thing. Does Is it just me or did everybody forget that we used to observe beyond memes and gifts and platitudes on social media that we used to get together? There were invitations that would be sent out and people would coordinate and and there were all kinds of awesome gatherings. And I know this year it's probably even harder to grasp that because, yeah, last year um, people were still in a space where they could still do some of that stuff at the top of February. Nobody was um, really pulling back from that. I don't believe we were in that point yet. But now it's like we can't. I miss the luncheons. I miss the brunches, the, the jazz or gospel brunches. I miss the, 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 the dances, the uh, special shows and... Um, uh, exhibits and things at museums and art galleries and you know for the young ones you know going to historical sites uh, story time it's you know those really cool little bookstores or the library 
where there was story time and like, you know, the, the tradition of the griot and, you know, just goodness, goodness. One of my happiest uh, Black History Month festivity events was I was invited by one of the organizations that my father is involved with to sing the Black National Anthem at the Federal Rotunda in Lower Manhattan. And it was in 2002. It was the first Black History Month for the organization um, following September 11th. So there were several uh, people who had been members um, and so they were being honored. Their families were being honored and it was also a celebration of life. But it was, it was a somber but a beautiful event. And I only mention it because in looking up some stuff, I came across Wynton Marsalis playing Amazing Grace in that same space and speaking about the acoustics. And so I remembered me going back all those years to being in that space. And there were all kinds of people of note and celebrity and whatever and were there and just feeling like, wow, you know, we've got ancestors that probably helped build these buildings that would never in a million years have expected to see the rotunda full of African-Americans, just black people in general, because everybody was not African-American, but proud black people in this space. And here we are, honoring our own. That's the stuff that I miss, that you can't get from posts. It doesn't resonate the same. I miss those moments where it really it's tactile. You know, it's a whole entire thing. And so again, I miss the spaces. I miss the faces. I miss that energy of us gathering and paying those respects to, you know, our collective legacy of a people who have a shared history of coming through capture, middle passage, bondage, emancipation of some kind, because it wasn't called that everywhere where slaves found freedom or were granted freedom, you know, uh, segregation, you know, civil rights, supposedly being considered equal and no longer separate, but equal and making their way and giving the next generation more than the previous generations had in spite of so many struggles. But there also being a lot of joy and a lot of innovation and a lot of contribution to America as African-Americans, but also to the world. That's why I also don't subscribe to ODing on trauma porn because it, it sells this narrative that we're just, down, we're just a downtrodden, beaten down people. And that is not what we are. We are not that. We are actually the progeny, the descendants, the children, the product of the strongest of the strong. And that's applicable to all of the black children of the diaspora. I don't care where you are, what language you speak, you know, and all that other stuff. I can't get in. I don't get into that. I don't get into that with people because, you know, like I said, we're all family. We're family. And so with the Black History Month, I know this might sound like, where is she going? With Black History Month now kind of really feeling relegated beyond already what was already felt was like ridiculousness, 28 days, the shortest month in the year. But now on top of it, we don't have that 
um, we're not having those moments and those spaces to connect and really feel the spirit, you know, we have to find other ways. And for me, that other way this year, let me tell you something. After all of the posts and communications and episodes and all of that stuff that we all have been doing for the last couple of years, but especially this last year and all of the history that we we did our part to help make happen and then celebrate and acknowledge and all of that, I'm exhausted of the social media stuffs. I am. But what I am not exhausted of when it comes to finding my way to celebrate and feel it this year, you know, um, not let this 28 days go by and not do a little extra extra because newsflash, uh, I live up in my black pride 24-7, 365, every day of my life, all my life. Thank you, mom and dad and grandma, grandpa, aunties, uncles, nana, everybody you know, for making sure that I've known to live in my pride every day, all my life, not just 28 days, once a year. I've just studied being looking for things to watch and enjoy and read that make, create a, a whole other type of feeling of connection to those faces and places and moments that are really about celebrating the best of what we have to offer because we're still here. And we ain't done yet. We're not done. There's more work to be done. But I definitely don't feel that I could, you know, get into that zone on social media right now. So what I have been doing is, like I said, um, finding my own way. And I, I've talked to some people and apparently I'm not the only one who's been feeling this way. Like I haven't had enough of posting about my people, you know, and what we need to do and who we need to celebrate because it's it's. We just, I, I, I feel like what would have been awesome behind all of what we went through was to not be dealing with this pandemic, honestly, and be able to, again, be going to those museums and those galleries and those libraries and those brunches and those uh, services and those gatherings. That's what I would really rather be doing. I guess that's really ultimately what I was trying to get to, but we can't. So I've been reading. One of the things I've been reading is, and I'm not going to give a whole thing about it, but one of the things that really had me in the headspace um, that kind of rides in tandem with one of the things that I've been fascinated with for many years, genealogy, and just thinking back to all of what my people have done just in my own bloodline on both sides, I, of course, got really excited when I heard this gentleman speaking on a, uh, one of the nightly news shows, and he mentioned pre-reconstruction and the Great Migration, and I was like, ah, that's it. I actually ordered a copy for my dad for his birthday. I ordered a copy for myself. My mother went and downloaded a copy on her Kindle, and I was just like, of course it would be him to have that thing that feels like it's right on time for the zone that I want to go into for Black History Month. I'm talking about commentator, op-ed columnist for the New York Times, author, journalist, Charles M. Blow, and his latest book, The Devil You Know, a Black Power Manifesto. I love it. I'm loving it. I'm into it. I have not finished it. But what I will say is if you're into those discussions uh, about socioeconomics, the political uh, weight that we could have and what we... Just basically, you know what? For people who don't really understand that a lot of what pushed everybody to get to the place where we were this past summer... People who don't understand um, that a lot of the strategy that we watch play out that facilitated, like I said, pushing people to the limit of the rage and the enough is enough 
those tactics and things that have been triggering black people and allies are not new. And I guess that's really what it is that excited me about Charles M. Blow's book is that um, he gets into how we need to really go back and look at some of these things like the Southern strategy and, and um, 14th Amendment and, uh, you know, the terror campaigns that pushed a lot of those of us who are African-American, our ancestors, out of where they had land and were building community and commerce and all those other things. Why did they give those things up to run up north to places like Harlem, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, you know, Chicago, and, you know, walk away from all of that? Why would they do that, especially do that, and then ends up being relegated to service class when they were well on their way to being very independent, very, very strong, very economically strong communities? Well, there are some answers in his book, and also really the overall scope of discussion is really about looking back to look forward and seeing, you know how they say, you know, people fail to learn from history, repeat it. Well, we've already seen a chunk of what was repeated because a lot of what we had to deal with was seeded generations back. We need to start looking at um, what that was, what happened, and how to not allow it to happen again, but actually flip the script. Because we can ill afford, and this is everybody that you know believes in a society where we are all seen as human beings, you know, by the complete definition in the Constitution. I'm just saying. Um, then we all that are on that side, we need to really look at how do we not end up, you know, uh, not just repeating what we just went through, but allowing it to happen again and to the extreme extreme that we cannot afford to happen. I don't. I. I. I will leave links for excerpts from the book, but again, if you're somebody who's into those kinds of discussions, it is a weightier, heavier kind of headspace to get into, but I love reading, and I also love reading his column, and I also love listening to him speak, so I'm all for it, and I love history. Um, I I like history period, but I especially am fascinated, again, with uh, African-American history, because it also helps when it comes to doing your own genealogical deep dive and seeing how your ancestors fit into the bigger picture of everything that was going on. And I see a lot of it in, in, in the subject matter. I really do. Like, I mean, it just makes me think of remembering seeing um, one of my ancestors, Freeman bank account, his Freeman bank account, um, his name on the ledger. But also understanding that although he was getting himself a free man's bank account, he had to have a white man co-sign for him. You know, and this was an ancestor that later on, him and his wife, they did have a business and down in Charleston. So, yeah, I'm fascinated by those things because I think when you, the more you learn about who you are, all it does is really boost the pride that you have. And also, you know, again, when you're faced in a world where we've seen it, we've seen a lot of it, you know, this past couple of years, again, where you have people who constantly want to run this narrative that your people are less than your people are not worthy of justice. Your people are not worthy of equality. Your people's votes don't technically really count. I mean, all of this is constantly coming at us. I, I think it behooves all of us to, yeah, shore yourself up on that where I come from. Because even if you never tell another soul outside of your family what your history is, you know it. And I'm telling you, it does. It gives you a little extra, you know, you know, a little swagger. Um, yeah, I love it. And I, I just love it. So anyway, I went totally, again, not aiming for perfection, just 
being open. Um, so yeah, so I'm reading, one of the things I'm doing this Black History Month, I have been doing this Black History Month, is reading The Devil You Know, A Black Power Manifesto by Charles M. Blow. I will leave links for it. Now, another thing that I'm gearing up to watch is uh, The Black Church. This is our story, this is our song on PBS, hosted by Henry Louis Gates Jr., who a lot of people may already know his name from him doing his uh, genealog his show about genealogy called Finding Your Roots. Um, I believe it's on A&E. Don't, I might be wrong, but I will have a correct link. But I'm fascinated by this man. I've been paying attention to everything he has to say on the subject for a very long time. And what I think is really cool that this is directed by Sam Pollard, who also directed uh, another PBS uh, African-American history treasure Eyes on the Prize. I remember when Eyes on the Prize, a two-part that was a two-part uh, docu series. I remember when that first came on. I remember family members calling each other and just to make sure that everybody knew what time it was coming on and what channel it was coming on and whoever had to work or something was like tape it. You know, I'll lend you the VHS when I'm done. And you know, it was important. And I remember watching it and just again, what I love about all of these things is that at no point is anyone skirting past what is the most painful part of our history. Um, all the way through a lot of other really painful parts. But I love when we also get to show the world, again, our joy, our beauty, our intelligence, our heart, our soul, and that there's so much more to us than struggle. You know, the struggles have, yes, helped to push us forward and drive us to do amazing things, to, to reach the place of where, you know, people can say now stuff that, you know, black excellence. You know, I mean... It didn't happen just because it was like, let's come up with a meme and a hashtag. No, <laughs> no, this is, these are hard earned, you know, phrases and belief systems and, and goals and all the other stuff. But I love the fact that um, these docuseries show all the truth, not just some of it. And so with the black church, this is our story. This is our song. Everything that I've seen, it looks like they're really going to get into a nice discussion about what those are people outside of our community, what y'all might be um, really used to knowing about us when it comes to the black church is that one, it is church. Yes, it is. Um, but the gospel music and, you know, yes, it sounds, it's beautiful. It does touch one's heart and soul. Um, it's absolutely a major part of our worship service and how we, you know, express, you know, the spirit. But what you may not understand is that for us, everything that we sing Sunday morning, whether it is in the Baptist church or the AME um, or any of the other denominations, it's not all right out the hymnals. So I'm pretty sure they're going into that territory about the Negro spiritual and what it really is and why it is so important to us and from whence it really comes. It's, I'll just say this. It's probably the reason why, even from the time I was a little girl, the first time I saw Revelations, the piece by Alvin Ailey, I think even on a cellular level, I was moved by it to the point of joyful tears and when I got older and understood what it was about, Wade in the Water, which is the, the song, the composition, and the, the, yeah, the song that goes along with that number, that piece of choreography, when you really know what it's about, it's even more beautiful to watch and to listen to. Yeah, I'm excited about watching. And I see that John Legend has something to do with this. He makes an appearance, as do a number of, you know, well-known pastors from churches around the country. The other thing that people outside of the community may not be fully aware of is that the black church is, um, one, 
faith has always been a very big part of our community, but whether it was a big church or it was a praise house, we've always had some place as a touchstone to have that fellowship. It's a big deal in the community and in the culture, but it has also been a focal point for political activism. And I know that from listening and having listened to the stories told by my grandparents, my parents, about stuff that their parents and them were getting into in New York, whether it was up in the Bronx or it was up in Harlem through the church protests and lunch counter sit-ins and all kinds of stuff and the March on Washington and all sorts of things. All of that stuff was coordinated through the church. All of it was coordinated through their churches. So that's a whole other thing that absolutely you're going to get to learn more about. I think it's a great um, conversation starter for people who are unfamiliar and for people who grew up with it and just kind of took it all for granted to maybe get reacquainted um, with the black church. It's a beautiful, I think it's a beautiful space to kind of just reconnect. And also for those who are unfamiliar with, um, with the subject to get to know it and understand. Understanding is a good thing. So check your local listings, PBS, The Black Church. This is our story. This is our song hosted by Henry Louis Gates Jr. And I'm also going to add a link for that, right, like I said, along with the Finding Your Roots. That show is crazy. Like, I have it set on my DVR, and it's been a permanent setting to record on my DVR for years now. I love just, you know, pulling them up and binge-watching and watching these celebrities and politicians and whatever, like, go, oh my God, but Grandma said, and realizing that people were telling tales and rewriting history. It's a trip and a half. But um, yeah, but I love genealogy, so it's all good. And then lastly, well not lastly, but one of the other things that I thought was really standout and I absolutely have to share with you guys as one of the things that again gave me those feels of connecting with the peoples. Like I said, it was always those luncheons and um, performances and, and art and stuff. I love art. If there's any confusion about it, I love art. And the show is primarily built for, from my, you know, in my head and building it, um, <laughs> it's built for creative minds. It's built for artists across mediums. But when it comes to visual art, I, you know, I have a favorite artist, and that would be Jonathan Green. He is based in Charleston, South Carolina, and his, and his primary, what he's famous for are his works that are focused on his people, who are also my people, the Geechee Gullah people of Charleston, South Carolina. And I remember the first time I saw a piece of his, it was actually in a calendar, like I think it was his first major calendar. So I was, oh, like a teenager. And my mom got it from the Schomburg Library, which was right around the block from the family church, Abyssinian Baptist. Um, they all went religiously. I did not. I'm not even going to sit here and lie and act like I went all Sundays. I did not. Um, <laughs> but, um, but my mama did, and so did my auntie. But, you know, so she got, the, um, she got me a calendar. She, she just knew I was going to love it, and she was absolutely right. And I remember the first thing I wanted to do was take it apart and put all of the pictures in frames because... The thing that stood out for me was as I looked at his work was the faces, the structure, the color, the the movement, just there was these subtle things that were so incredibly familiar and I could see myself, I could see my grandmother, I could see my great grandmother's cheekbones, you know, I could see these places that she talked about because um, I had my Nana with me until I was like 12 my great-grandmother, Nana. And I could see these places that she had talked about. I could see these other places that my grandmother talked about from when they would go down, um, back down to Charleston, 
you know, when she was a little girl, and and I could see it all in his work. But the thing, even today, there are certain there's certain pieces that I look at, and I swear I can see my grand uncles, but I could see them as clear as day, and it's like a spiritual thing, and also just beautiful to look at. But that's the thing for me that when I realized I was going to grow up to be somebody who really loved art, who really loved looking at trying to figure out what it is that someone else is trying to tell you about their world in a moment. That's how I see it. Of course, you look at things like brushstroke and texture and color and form, depending on what it is you're looking at. Some things are extremely abstract and you kind of go, what was that about? But then you're looking at it's the nuance of it that kind of sucks you in. Oh my God, let me, I'm not here to do a whole discussion on art. What I am here to do though is tell you guys, I love art. And so um, I was absolutely geeked when I found out about this documentary. And I found out about it because I follow artist Amy Sherald on Instagram, which I've told y'all before repeatedly is the only social media I have any patience for these days. And I saw the story. It was a little video promo clip, right? And it was for this documentary. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh my God, I have to watch this. So I looked up its listing on HBO. I set an alarm on my phone to make sure I did not miss the premiere. And I didn't. And I was so glad I didn't. I'm talking about black art in the absence of light. If you are someone who absolutely just loves art, this is worth watching. If you can't, if you can't relate to the artist, which I don't know how you can't, but if, 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 if your entry point has to be that you're going to look forward to tuning in so you can see these works, these pieces, let that be what gets you to turn it on. Let what keeps you, though, be the stories of these artists, the overall story of what it is to be a black artist in America today and yesterday. I, I'm absolutely floored by the fact that I love all things the multi-generational. And again, a lot of that, as I mentioned, has to do with, I had my great-grandmother, my Nana, with me till I was 12. And I know that so much of who I am today is enriched by having had her around to tell me stories and to spend time with her and to learn crafts and things from her, from her hands to my tiny hands. Same thing with my grandmother, her daughter. You know, um, so I love things that are multi-generational and aren't just about putting the hype and the, the, the spotlight on the new kids. But I just love the fact that we can, you know, celebrate the legends and future legends. But it's just, mm. did I mention the pieces that you actually get to see? Okay, so in this, we have featured, like I said, Amy Sherald, who I follow her in the first place, by the way, guys, because she is the one who did that stunning portrait of former First Lady Michelle Obama. That portrait, the one that hangs in the National Portrait Gallery in Washington, D.C. Amy Sherald is the artist who did that. And meanwhile, Kahinde Wiley, who did the portrait for former President Barack Obama, he did that one, which also hangs in the National Portrait Gallery in Washington, D.C. Both of these um, artists are featured prominently in uh, black art in the absence of light. But there are also some other names like legendary uh, Carrie Mae Weems. Um, also, oh gosh, Potter uh, Theaster Gates and up-and-coming superstar uh, Jordan Castile and a bunch of other names. But I love the fact that we actually get to see um, several of them talk about their work and their process and what really, really what moves them to do what they do. Ultimately, the, oh gosh, and also to hear from the curators. Long live the curators. Um, long live 
uh, Studio Museum in Harlem. Again, I've mentioned it before, I have a love affair with Harlem. It's a part of my roots, it's part of my history. And I just love the fact that it exists since 1968 to create spaces for black artists to get those artists in residencies where they're given the resources to you know, be able to really develop the craft and also be mentored and network and grow because the art world is a difficult one to traverse and find your way in, as are all of these creative fields, to be quite honest. But like in all things, you know, with the way that this, the, the dynamic of just the way this, this country works, this world works when you are black in America, when you're African-American, black, however you identify, if it's difficult for artists who are white, I promise you it is a hundred times harder to make your way for black artists. And that's a part of, a major part of the discussion. But what gives me great joy is that at no point as the viewer did I feel like what they were asking for was validation. They weren't asking for validation. What they were commanding was pride of place and acknowledgement. And that for me is everything because that speaks volumes to what the collective of us are out here saying all the time. And of course it would be the artists whose work and their mission and their drive drives that point home. I loved it. I loved it. Like I said, I loved hearing from the curators. I loved hearing the curators talk about the individual artists, about different art galleries and museums, the rich history, talking about the history of black art going back to HBCUs, um, putting some light on artists that should have probably a long time ago become household names. But just overall, the beautiful and rich history of black art in America by African-American artists. I think it's something that, you know, uh, like I said, I grew up going into museums and like one of my happy places, my happiest place on the planet, one of them next to the Museum of Natural History is the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the ancient Egypt wing. I know that I, I, I was given tours the near at nine years old. The thing I love about art whether it's contemporary art or it's art that's been, you know, um, located and, you know, it's, it's, it's ancient almost, is that when you look at a piece, because artists do what artists do, and I mentioned this early at the top of the show, is inherently create to connect, to convey where they are in that moment or what is important to them in that moment and they commit it to canvas or to a photograph or to, you know, literature or whatever. But it's when it's those things, those tangible things, that you can look at and you might be able to touch, but more so look at, I feel like in those moments you're reaching through time and you're connecting with this person who may have lived hundreds of years ago, thousand years ago, five years ago, and you're having a moment with them where they're telling you their story, their way. They're telling you that moment. They're sharing that with you. And you have a one-on-one -on -one moment because you can be standing there with a group of people, but every person's going to be seeing that piece in their own way for their own reasons. And so that's how I feel like through all of whatever separates each of us human beings in this world, those are those moments where the art is something that can cut through all of what might be your, your boundaries and your walls and everything else. You can let those things down and just connect with the work. I didn't set out to go all into this like that, but it's, I was moved when I watched it. I enjoyed it. I loved seeing the work. I loved seeing and getting to learn some new names. I loved seeing names that I've seen before. And also for me, it's also a thing where it makes me just kind of look to the left, look to the right, to look at friends of mine who are visual artists and say, you know, I appreciate you guys so much. 
I really do. I really do. Because um, you're telling our stories. And that, again, hello, was really also my um, big smile at the end of it was they're telling our stories. So all of that said, <laughs> to say, please do go check it out. It's awesome. If you love art, you're going to love it. If you don't know if you're into art, this might be a great gateway um, uh, show, you know, documentary for you to watch. So please do check it out. Black Art, In the Absence of Light on HBO. Catch it, tape it, set those DVRs, do what you got to do. It's amazing. And honestly, it was the thing for me that really buttoned me up real good for, again, looking for things that created that sense of feeling, that connected feeling that I would get going to Black History events. With that, I will close with a very quick, 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 quick story from my youth. When I was 15, I had a friend. Her name was Layla, and her mother, Vivian, was friends with Dr. Benice Johnson Reagan. Uh, now, if her name sounds familiar to some of you, I know where you probably know it from. For those of you who don't, she was one of the founding members of Sweet Honey in the Rock. Now, Sweet Honey in the Rock, to call them an acapella group, is not enough. To say that these women sang of freedom of revolution still doesn't feel like it's quite enough. To say that listening to them was an edifying and soul-stirring and life-changing moment for me still doesn't feel like enough. But what I will say is I'm going to share some Sweet Honey in the Rock with you in some links below. When I listened to them sing on that stage in Queens College, because Vivian got us tickets to go see it, and it was a Black History Month event. <laughs> um, oh man, to sit there and watch those women on stage sing and sing in a way that I'd heard big sound come out of choirs and choruses. I'd sung with choirs and choruses, but I'd never heard and felt anything quite like that. And to be 15 years old and already working with music and around music and in music and theater and all those other things and dance, you know, it was a whole entire experience. I felt every note. I could hear every voice, but at the same time, the blend was something that was above and beyond comprehension. It was powerful. It was honest. It was spiritually uplifting and I can't explain anymore. I can't explain any better to you than that. But what I will say is it rewired my, my ear and a part of my heart and my mind listening to them. And just the power, the elegance, the dignity, the beauty of each and every one of those women and the sound that came forth from them. It was an experience. It was a spiritual experience. And it was a beautiful experience. And to be in that auditorium with people from all walks of life, okay, and share in that moment, yeah, those are the kinds of things that I say, I can't get that from posts. And I figured this year, I'm not even going to try. Because I can hear them when I close my eyes singing any number of the Negro spirituals that they sang or the songs of revolution that they sang. And to me, that is the soundtrack of the way I like to acknowledge Black History Month, but also how I like to acknowledge 
and what I hear when I think of my ancestors and my own down in Charleston and my own back in Virginia and North Carolina and my own that great migration their way up to New York and found a way from Harlem on out to the other boroughs so that me and my cousins and their kids and all of us can be here and be proud of being the strongest of the strong. Yeah, there's, there's grace, there's dignity, there's power in those old Negro spirituals that those slaves sang. And there is no shame in that history. And that's what I, I close my eyes and I hear those women singing those songs of freedom and um, pride. And that is why I'm going to share some of their work with you guys. And that is where I'm going to close this off on what I did and didn't do and how I how I acknowledged Black History Month. And let's also get this very clear. As an African-American woman, I want you all to understand this. African-American history is American history. And that is why no 28 days could ever contain the entirety of all of who and what we are. We are absolutely the progeny, the descendants, the children, the product of the strongest of the strong. And that is every day, not just 28 days on the calendar. I thank you guys for listening to this special episode number 12 of Vibes, Moods, and Moves. I got vibey, I got moody. You know, I tried to move it along, <laughs> but really this feels so appropriate for um, closing out this first season, and I truly and do sincerely thank each and every single one of you for pressing play on this episode whenever you press play, and by means of whatever streaming service you press play on, so whether you listened on iTunes from Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or my site, the host site, the main site, www.JanaeJordan.com. I thank you. I thank you. And please do, don't forget to subscribe, join the mailing list, and also follow over at Vibes, Moods, Moves. So, um, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate y'all. I really do. All right. So, take care. Take care of yourself. Please continue to stay healthy and strong and whole mind, body, and soul. Wear those masks, wash your hands, social distance, look out for one another, be good to one another. But of course, always, you know what I'm going to say, be good to yourselves so that you can reach into other people's worlds and be good to them because good God knows we all need to be being good to each other, okay? God bless and keep you. I love you guys. I love you, I love you, I love you much. Till next time, much love and light. Peace.